day. The return of Blue Jays baseball today as they start a two-game set in Washington against the lowly Nationals. It is Baseball Central. Ben Ennis alongside Shai Davidi, who I haven't seen in the flesh in God knows how long. You look great. This is my first time in the studio since the before times. Yes. Oh, have you noticed that there's a whiteboard over there? And the last thing that was written on it was some of the replayed old archival games that, you know, we played in the summer of 2020. Uh, a trip down memory lane, right? It belongs in the Smithsonian. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah. It's probably something uh, someone should burn so we never have to <laughs> relive or, or remember those times. They were dark days. We can leave the before times... Well, I don't know. Actually, those weren't dark days. Those were good days because that was when we were living like everything was normal. Yeah. It's the, the period since that we need to move into the incinerator, <laughs> no? Uh, I'll just take the whole last two years and just junk the whole thing. How yeah. about that? Yeah, that's fair. All right. Let's talk baseball, though, shall we? Let's do that. All right. So um, Jays, as I mentioned, start this two-game series against the Nats, who I think have three wins since the trade deadline. They're quite bad. One of them, uh, one of them secured by former Blue Jay Riley Adams. There you go. Yes, you know what I was watching. He had multiple hits in that game. That's right. Yep. Uh, he's been all right for them. Although I think that might be the only game he has hits in, but better than uh, he did as a Blue Jay. Uh, so twenty-five games left for the Blue Jays, including these two games against sub five hundred teams, and eleven of the next fifteen against teams that are sub five hundred. Some of those teams are playing a little bit better now. The Tigers are not. Abhorrent. They may be just beginning to turn the corner there yes. in Detroit. Maybe. Yeah. The Twins have mm, turned around a little bit. I mean, they were one of the worst teams in baseball for a long period of time. There. Yes. The Nats are not that. The Nats are abominable. How do you feel about the Blue Jays' playoff chances right now? Because it was, it, I think people had them almost penciled in when they rattled off the nine wins on the homestand. Right. And then they go out on the on the road with those seven games against the Angels and Mariners, a team that's directly pursuing them for that second wild card in the American League, and they almost get swept, and two of those losses are on the bullpen, and the offense failed to show up until the third game, but they salvage it, and now the potential still to win the road trip with two victories in Washington. It, it just it feels a little bit different around this team. How do you feel about it? I think if you look at you know they're, they're coming out of that ex- really long stretch of games, where they'd been grinding and you know you usually go three and four on a seven game swing out west mm-hmm. you know you don't love it but you're like that's about right you know that you just want to stay more or less level i think where people are frustrated is you know two more bullpen games disappear adding to a list that's far too long and that may ultimately be the thing that does in this season and i can see where the frustration's at but you know, the Blue Jays are still, for the most part, in relative control of their own fate, right? They still have games in hands on some of the teams above them, which is crucial. And they've still got games left with the, the Yankees, with Oakland, with uh, with Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. So they can still close ground in, in those crucial, critical games. So, you know, this wasn't ideal. Like, it could certainly have gone worse. It could have gone better. Uh, but... Look, I think the reality is the Blue Jays have this stretch now where they're not facing the best teams for the majority of it. They've got some things they've got to figure out in their bullpen. You've got to, you know, getting Mesa back will certainly help. Yeah. But they need to deepen 
that late game leverage. They need to get Simba right. Yeah, uh, they've got to figure out where the best spots for Trevor Richards are, and you know, ideally, you're slotting in Nate Pearson into this bullpen at some point, and Ross Stripling is back and healthy, so you can put him in the bullpen as a long man. He's your rotation insurance, and you can shorten up Thomas Hatch and, and put him into the mix too. That's where you set yourself up, and you can say, all right, now they're going to be in a good position for this last month. Okay, I want to talk about Otto Lopez in a second, but you just hit on some things that I was going to maybe save for later, but let's do it now because you mentioned it. And you're driving this show. You're Shah Davidi. <laughs> um, what, what are we looking at timeline-wise for, for Pearson, specifically Hatch? I, I, I guess you need to see Stripling activated before you, you don't give up on him as a, really, uh, as a starter, but you take him out of that potential six-starter spot if you lose a starter. You need that right now. Like, he's yeah. the next man up. He's your starter, starter insurance right now. Yep, and you, and you need that until Ross Stripling is back and healthy. Pearson thing is interesting because he started his rehab stint with the Bisons. How much time does he need? How long will it take for this organization to be comfortable with throwing him back into the fire? I think there are going to be a few pieces to that, right? First and foremost, it's how is he healthy and recovering, right? Is he getting through the issues with the sports hernia? Are they causing him to need several days? Is he able to pitch comfortably without fear of, you know, causing another injury as a result of that? So that's the first piece. Second piece, and, you know, the first outing went relatively well. You know, is he throwing strikes? Is he in command of his fastball? And then the third one is, is he ready for some leverage from from that standpoint? So, you know, I I don't think this is a one or two outing thing, you know, but, you know, once he gets to three and four and he's built up a little bit and he's bouncing back, then, you know, potentially at that point you're looking at. So uh, maybe we're looking at a week, week and a half. Yeah. Yeah. what you what you're hoping is that the circumstances in the, at the big league level don't force you to feel like you have to speed that process up because that would not be good. Uh, they're not going to mess with that. I no. mean, d- despite the fact that it's it's time to win baseball games, like we're into mid August here. Pretty clearly, uh, any prolonged losing streak would be pretty dire for your postseason chances. Like you're you're not messing with still your number one prospect in the organization. And you're not messing with the two-time American League Player of the Week, George Springer, who we still assume is going to miss these two games in Washington with the off day again on Thursday. Like, you're you're not... I mean, the Blue Jays have been burned by being too aggressive on injury timelines earlier in the season. I wonder if that's in the back of their heads as they, they go forward with these potential decisions looming. Well, I think some of the calculus changes a little bit because... There isn't much highway left yeah. at this point, right? So you're operating against that. But with Springer, so they've got 45 games left, right? And mm-hmm. if you put him on the aisle now, today would be day three. So you're talking about uh, six or seven more games uh, with the, factoring in with the off days. Are, are you sacrificing, you know, six or seven at this point to leverage against the 38, 39 that remain beyond that? I think you probably are, mm-hmm. right? So you're going to be super cautious with with Springer. And, you know, if you're going to look at, you know, a slate of games, which you don't have them for, you know, two against the Nationals, three against the Tigers, 
you shouldn't need George Springer for those games. Uh, this is where we smash cut to Drew Hutchison throwing a complete game, game shutout on Sunday. But, you know, I mean, if he's doing that, Springer <laughs> alone ain't beating Drew Hutchison. And, 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 and you know, if you're, if you're losing to Drew Hutchison at this point, then yeah. That's you, deserve, on you. you deserve not to make the playoffs, right? Yeah, right. So, uh, look, I, I think that's kind of where you're at. You have to kind of, you want to make sure that you have Springer for the majority of those games. Uh the savior is here, though. Otto Lopez is in Washington. The, 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 sa- the savior du jour. Yeah. <laughs> Latest savior is in Washington. And a lot of people's eyebrows raised when it was reported that he had joined the team. I guess we have more information now. So maybe just get us up to date. Well, I mean, on he's on the on. taxi squad there right now. Okay. And he could be activated. He could not be activated. Uh, and uh, for me, I'm curious to see what sort of the calculations are. So they're going to need to make a move for Tim Mesa, right? That's mm-hmm. going to be someone out of the bullpen. Okay, so that makes sense. And if you're going to activate Otto Lopez, then who's going? So is that going to be an IL stint for George Springer? Um, you know, at a certain point, Kevin Biggio is going to get back into this mix too, you think. Is he? He's on. I, I think that you, you probably want him back. You need that left-handed bat there. And I'm not. I know. I know it's been a stretch where things haven't been great for him, but you know, you need him to be a part of this. And so, what's going on there? So, is this something? So, is this related to Springer? Is this uh, a move for Bravik Valera, or you know, is this something perhaps to do with Bobichet? You know, we know he missed some time with the shin contusions. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think back, and this is totally spitballing here, but there was. Uh, uh, in the Saturday game here against the Red Sox, he dove for a ball and he ended up looking like he landed awkwardly on his wrist and he was shaking off his wrist for a while there, uh, a little bit beyond what you would normally think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he missed some time with the shin contusions, but you know, is that bothering him too? Uh, that's just me spitballing here. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know anything, but uh, you know, if he needs a break, you know, and, and that could explain the extra infielder. Um, you know, maybe that's that's a part of this. But, you know, the, the Blue Jays are also in a situation right now where, you know, Lopez probably fits them better if Springer's going to the IL than another outfielder does. Like, you know, is, is Josh Palacios really going to play that much given how they're set up currently? Or could you potentially find more at-bats and opportunities for Lopez, uh, especially as you're trying to figure things out at third base? Uh, I missed that Saturday game because I was en route to Texas, where I have been. Don't worry, I've got multiple COVID tests since I returned. But you went to COVID land. Yeah, I went to. I, I did not ride the rides at COVID land, though. <laughs> I just observed COVID land from afar with uh, my wife's family. All right, the Bobichet thing could explain, you know, the old platinum sombrero in the finale of the Mariners series. Be pretty devastating blow to be without. George Springer and Bo Bichette potentially for these two games. But if ever there was a team to not be without those two bats, it would be these two. But if we're talking about Otto Lopez being activated, it's probably a Bichette IL stint. Well, well, not necessarily. No, not necessarily. I think you could see it for, for Springer as well. But again, you're just kind of considering all the, the possibilities right now and all the pathways to the roster. And it could just be a decision on Bravik Valera too. Yeah. Who's done adequately well? Right. Switch hitter. I mean, they've gone to great lengths to keep him on the roster to this point. Sure. So, you know, I don't necessarily foresee that. But, you know, maybe they're at a point, too, where, you know, Lopez is on the 40-man roster. uh, And you've got to, 
I think there are a lot of people in the organization who really like him. He can do a bunch of different things. So uh, I can see, and he, and he's hit. He's done nothing but hit this year. Well, his, his the numbers in the on his baseball reference page, like they jump off the page, and you think Otto Lopez. Well, it's all about Arelvis Martinez, and it's all about Gabriel Moreno, and it is. But here's a guy who's only 22 years old and has a career OPS in over almost 1,300 career minor league plate appearance of 380. Mm-hmm. And this is we're talking about an 815 OPS in AAA this year with a 404. On base. And yeah. this is not a guy that's like a quad A player. He's never gotten an opportunity at the major league level. Who knows? Maybe he is that. But this is not anybody that I think uh, people were super excited about until you look at the baseball reference page and you wonder how that translates to the major leagues. Well, I mean, it's worth remembering, too. I mean, it's he's only been in Buffalo for a couple of weeks, just mm-hmm. recently promoted. Uh, but those numbers in double A, you know, he, he's 22 years old, right? So he's two years younger than the league there, and he's putting up an 854 OPS. Uh, he performed in Buffalo in a short, small sample. Uh, and he's someone that the organization has has been taking notice of for a while. You know, he put himself on the radar uh, back in 2019 in Lansing with a, a really solid season there. There's a lot of versatility. There's some speed, uh, good bat to ball. Uh, you, you know, he's not going to hit you with a ton of power, but he can go gap to gap and yeah, you know, he's the type of player that you know this lineup can need can use, right? They don't necessarily need more power. More power is always good. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but you know, some more on base, some more contact. You put him in the bottom of the lineup, let him set the table for the big boys up at top. You know, I think that maybe he can do some of those things for you, and you know, give you a little bit of super utility around the diamond. Yeah, I mean, Ben's over his type when you're talking about shortstop, second base, all three outfield positions just this season is what Otto Lopez has played. So an interesting dude. People were pounding the table for Kevin Smith, though. Kevin Smith, Kevin Smith, Silent Bob, Silent Bob. That was just my house. Right, yes. (laughs) I got the Silent Bob was the dead giveaway there. (laughs) But yeah, he's a guy that jumped onto the radar. uh, What was it? 2018 and then 2019 was a big step backwards and that happens sometimes when you have a a jump in levels he's not on the 40 man so i understand it's easier to make lopez the guy although you do you have to be activated on do you have to be on the 40 man to be on the taxi squad yeah uh you don't have to be on the taxi squad to be but you know you have to make a move right to get to get on the big league roster so this is cleaner uh having lopez up is definitely cleaner from that standpoint Kevin Smith is fascinating, though, because he was Rule 5 eligible last year, mm-hmm. didn't get taken. Mm-hmm. This year, he, he's, you've got to protect him. Absolutely. And he's so he's got to end up on the 40-man roster at some point. And maybe they're just waiting potentially for September, maybe not, you know, because you do a pitcher-catcher at that point, and, you know, what's, what's, he, what's the other player? It, it's interesting that he hasn't gotten an opportunity yet, but there have been a couple people ahead of him on the depth chart. I think from the Blue Jays standpoint is, you know, they're going to have to, they've got a decision to make, right? Because you're not, he's getting on your 40-man roster, mm-hmm. unless, of course, you trade him at some point in the offseason, but he's going to end up on your 40. So what's the delay here? And, you know, I think that's a that's a bit of an intriguing question, but, you know, the Blue Jays, you know, they've made had to make a couple roster decisions where they've lost players that are useful. You know, Jonathan Davis is useful. Yeah, DJ Zoic is useful. Catch yesterday for the yeah, Yankees. Yeah, great catch yesterday. Yeah, a couple of those for the Yankees, and, yeah. and good for him. You know, Patrick Murphy is useful, and you know, if you're sort of managing your depth for the rest of the season, 
I think you're looking at it. You're saying, well, do I want to make another 40-man move right now if I don't have to? And I can push this into the offseason when some free agents are going to create some space anyways. Well, yeah, and I, I'm thinking about Lopez and I'm thinking about Kevin Smith as potential Marcus Semyon replacements if, in fact, you don't pony up for a guy who has been, what, the second leading player in Fangraph's war this season? Yeah, I mean, uh, that uh, that's a tough spot to put them in. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah, and you still need a third baseman as well, which is, right. I mean, which brings us back to Kevin Biggio, which I kind of raised an eyebrow when you're like, you got to make room for Kevin Biggio. And I've been a Kevin Biggio defender. I like Kevin because I love walks. I love <laughs> people that don't make outs, really. Yeah, I, should, I should clarify it. Right, because the, the walk is, uh, you know, hella exciting. Yeah, it is, uh, or not. But yeah, I like people that don't make outs because that's kind of the whole point of offense. Don't make an out. You only get three of them every half inning. And when he's got a 350, 360 on base, that's that's really good. And all he has to do is hit like 240, 250 to do that. But when you're hitting the Mendoza line and you're on bases like in league average territory and the power is not what it once was and you can play a bunch of positions, but none of them even, I would say, at an average defensive level. Right. I, I, I think it makes the idea of, a 26-man roster spot being your birthright, not exactly something I agree with. That that The idea of optioning Kevin Biggio is not the worst thing in the world. No, but by the same token, I also do think there has to be some capacity for, you know, growing pains and sure and, and acclimation process in, in august though of a, like a season where you have legitimate playoff aspirations well i th- you know that that's you're making the decision that it is what he, he is what he is and that he's not going to be able to help you or that he's not going to bounce back yeah so you know if that's your conclusion for what he is i don't know that i'm just saying maybe well so i i think that you know this is some this is a guy who's played through a lot of physical things the whole season, right That's out of the gate, of yeah. you know, uh, fingers, uh, the the hand, the the neck, the the mid-back or whatever the, the Blue Jays called this last one now. You know, I, I think all those things point to someone who's had to, you know, play outside of his comfort and his peak uh, from a physical standpoint. And to judge him based on, on that and say, okay, he's not going to be a factor or, you know, like punt him or, you know, all the, all the other things that the, uh, you know, the, the, the pitchforks and, uh, torches, uh, set on Twitter is apt to do. That's not me, by the way. I'm just, I'm being I, very reasoned. Right. You're, about just, it. you're just giving them voice right now. on the radio. <laughs> um, that, that's fine. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that's fair at all. And I don't think that's a good way to, you know, <laughs> really manage someone who has the potential to be a, a big part of this team in years to come. So, uh, you know, if you, if he's physically not going to be capable, they've got to make that decision at that point to say, look, you know, you're not there physically. You, you're just not able to compete. Other guys are able to compete at a level higher than you right now. Get yourself right physically and we'll, we'll do that. And I think that's part of what's happening with this IL stint. And I think you want to, you want to play that out a little bit and give him a, you know, a little bit of runway yeah. And see if he comes back and, you know, if he's still grinding at the plate, then at that point you have to do something different. But, you know, the we the, the, the general discourse in sports in general, but, you know, around this team right now, uh, you know, we're just so fast to want to throw guys overboard. Right. And just as soon as something goes wrong, like 
baseball is a game of runway, dudes. Like mm. you've got to give got people an opportunity to to work through struggles and have ups and downs. And you know, I've, you know, he's gotten was he's at almost three hundred plate appearances this year. Uh, but there's a there's still some time left for him to rescue some season. And if you get you know, three weeks, four weeks of 2020 Kevin Biggio or even a, a version beneath that, that helps your team. 2020 Kevin Biggio, at times on this radio station, I said was the guy I most wanted up in a big spot. Mm-hmm. Like there, there was nobody that put together better plate appearances at times a season ago. That's a, I've been a big Kevin Biggio defender. It's just this year and maybe injuries are a part of it. Hasn't quite uh, lived up to the expectation. We shall see. Uh, let's take a break. And come back uh, with the former Blue Jays all-star center fielder and contributor to Blue Jay Central. We'll talk to Vernon Wells next as Baseball Central continues. Ben Ennis, Shai Davidi, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. All right, it's Baseball Central, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Ben Ennis, Shai Davidi, the Blue Jays starting a two-game series against the Nationals. Tonight in Washington, and before you take to your Twitter machine to send ang- angry messages to, to Shy and myself and maybe to the Sportsnet PR Twitter handle, it's not on Sportsnet tonight. It is on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. It's on YouTube. YouTube. So get that uh, through your head uh, before tonight's game. Let's talk to uh, Vernon Wells, former Blue Jays All-Star center fielder, contributor to Blue Jays Central, kind enough to join us right now. How's it going, Vernon? Hello, how are you guys? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, this Blue Jays team needs to make up some ground here. And the seven games to start this road trip didn't go all that well, went three and four. But they got these two games against the Nationals team that is pretty much packed it in. Uh, their actions at the trade deadline said as much. They only have three wins since then. What's What are these games like for a team that is so desperate for wins to make the playoffs, playing a team that you're you're expected to win, to to kind of put those thoughts out of your mind as you go into two games that you absolutely have to have? Well, I mean, you have to look at it in a couple of different directions. Um, for the Blue Jays, obviously, they they know how important these two games are, but you look in, in, the, in the other dugout and you have a bunch of guys who are trying to make a name for themselves, trying to show that they belong at the big league level. So it's not necessarily as, as it may seem on paper um, because you have two teams that are playing for different things and, in this game, if you have if you have a starting pitcher that's on, uh, it can limit some things. So, uh, obviously, as a fan of, of the Blue Jays, um, you have your expectations. But unfortunately, when expectations come, they can lead to disappointment. So, hopefully, they just play well and do what they're supposed to do. Hey, Vernon, uh, the, you look at this Blue Jays team, and they played some games like this last year in the sixty games schedule. And you know, I think mentally, maybe. You know, the 60-game grind under the conditions last year might have been a bit more challenging. But this is the first time for a lot of these guys that they're playing games of import this deep into the season, you know, over the course of 162 and, you know, you have to battle fatigue and battle some of the physical challenges. You know, I'm wondering for you, when you were doing that for the first time, maybe 2003, when you were having that big season there, uh, you know, you and Doc was having a special season, but some of the younger, some of your younger teammates at that point, what type of things did you learn about yourself playing games that mattered at that point in time at this point of the season? Well, as a player, and you mentioned fatigue, as you're getting to this time of year, um, it's real. Uh, so that's fortunately for them, they're in this position where they're still fighting for a spot, which 
kind of helps kickstart some of that fatigue and hopefully not allow you to think about it as much. Um, but your body's your body's going to do what your body's going to do. And at this point, the amount of games that they played, um, the period where they are in the season, this is it's it's a huge factor. And I think it's kind of shown a little bit of uh, Vladdy's struggles as of late. But that's that's a natural course of of a, of a baseball season. Hopefully, those those streaks don't last too long, but it allows guys to hopefully, hopefully motivate them through it and uh, any nagging injuries and things like that. You hopefully don't feel them as much as you're trying to push for a playoff spot. When you were tired, when you were fighting fatigue, did you find yourself sometimes uh, altering some of your routines, altering some of your processes? Did you, uh, you know, maybe have to change little things at the plate to just get you through things physically? And how did, how did that sort of impact uh, your performance? Well, that's a great question, and you 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 have a couple different ways of managing it as a as an offensive player. Uh, you can take a take a couple days off of batting practice um, and just get ready just before games. Managers, um, the good managers help hopefully communicate with their guys, and if they see see some fatigue, you go ahead and just tell them don't come to the park until six and and just get ready to play, just so it allows you to kind of decompress a little bit. Um, or just full out, give them a full day off and tell them don't come till six and don't worry about even putting your cleats on uh, just to give you a day. So there's different ways of doing it. And then once you get into the game, um, the hardest thing about hitting is when you get fatigued or you're struggling, your, your natural, your natural reaction is to try to do more. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as hitters, when we try to do more, we get ourselves even in in more trouble. So the, the ability to kind of just, just push pause, simplify things, get back to just being short to the ball, uh, not trying to do too much will allow you to hopefully get locked back in. And then as you get, get every, get your legs back up underneath, you're feeling good about yourself. Then you can let loose to go and doing what you were doing before. Talking to Vernon Wells, how impactful is just a, a DH day where you just, you get half a, a game off. How impactful can that be to, to reducing fatigue? I think it's big. I think it's a, I think it's a great way for when you have a deep lineup to give guys a half day off. Um, it's especially for the for the high stress positions, being in the outfield, playing in the middle of, of the diamond. Um, those are the guys that definitely need it the most. And if you're able to spare them that way uh, and still keep a valuable piece in that lineup, that's 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 the way I would do it if I were managing a team for sure. Vernon, Alec Manoa is going to get the ball tonight for the Jays. And, you know, he's certainly been a a huge contributor for them to this point. You know, as you're looking uh, at a young guy who's fighting from a different vantage point, experiencing the fatigue for the first time uh, on the mound as opposed to at the plate and offensively, you know, uh, what kind of signs do you look for? And, you know, what's your sense of how he will attack this moment? Um. being young is, is, is a great thing. Um, <laughs> having an opportunity to, to prove yourself uh, at a young age at the big leagues on, on this stage, um, he's, I don't see him slowing down. I think if there are signs of it, we'd see maybe some control, some control issues um, that haven't shown up yet or um, maybe a couple couple miles per hour on, a, on his fastball and things like that. But um, those would be my two signs to look for. But outside of that, I wouldn't expect anything coming from him because he's a high-energy guy anyways, uh, and he's young. So it's a, it's a good combination to keep him strong, hopefully, into October. 
what have you seen from him this season? Because he's been basically perfect, uh, not actually perfect. He's given up runs, but he's had one start where you could say was a real disappointment, the one where it resulted in a, in a uh, suspension. But and the slider is well above average, but he doesn't throw ninety seven. And I and I want it. I want to say something about what he's been able to accomplish is unquantifiable and has to do with mound presence. But then I feel like I'm uh, baseball people or the the stats community is going to yell at me. Like how 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 much of that is is real and how much of that is just imagined in my head? No, I, I think you're I think you're spot on. It's the ability to pitch. I think has been lost. Um, and when you don't have just the flat-out dominant fastball and you're able to move your fastball around and use location, use movement, use different things as a pitcher that, in, in my opinion, you're going to be better served that way than just trying to rear back and throw as hard as you can because at the big league level, I don't care really how hard you throw. If, if that's all you're doing, um, big league hitters can make an adjustment and hit it. So for him to be able to change speeds and be effective in that way, um, use strike to ball pitches when he needs to. Those are those are things that, at a young age, he's he's obviously shown that he has the ability to do. So that's where that's another reason why I don't see fatigue being too big of an issue for him because he's not an overthrower. Vernon, along those lines, you know we've seen uh, as part of his mound presence a, a lot of confidence. Uh, he's certainly a guy who isn't afraid to show it at times. And I'm wondering, as as an opposing hitter, when when you would were there times where you would face a guy who was maybe a little bit more demonstrative and who maybe got under your skin a little bit because of the way that he carried himself? You know, did that ever creep into your head when you were in the batter's box? Would you have to work to to keep any of that from getting into your brain as you were digging in? No, no. You, those are the guys you enjoyed facing. Those are the guys you wanted to beat even 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 worse, um, just to shut them up and and show them that they're not as good as they think they are. Um, and that was felt throughout the dugout, whether it was spring training or regular season, it didn't matter. That was those types of guys you enjoy facing because of that reason. And I think they feel the same way for us as hitters, as demonstrative hitters, showing up pitchers and things like that. There's an extra motivation to get you out. So that's where as professionals, um, you use those things as tools to kind of uh, maybe do a little bit extra uh, but staying within yourself, obviously, but doing a little extra to make sure you win that battle, that individual battle. A uh, few players have been able to shut him up, though, this season. Uh, he's getting the best of uh, just about everybody so far. Uh, talking to Vernon Wells, uh, need your big brain on the case for this one, Vernon. Uh, the Blue Jays have the best OPS in baseball, but it's 19th when it comes to the 7th, 8th, and ninth innings. Do you have a theory? Do, is that a small sample size aberration thing? Does that make sense to you in any way? Well, you look at the pitchers that they face, and and obviously everybody's facing, for the most part, everybody's facing the same guys in those those high leverage innings, but the arms are just better, um, and they're asked to do less. So no one probably, I mean, there's obviously no one in that situation is facing a guy twice. So you have one opportunity to face their best stuff in that at bat, and, and in the reality of, of baseball, pitchers are going to win that battle. So I'm, I'm assuming in most cases, numbers are down across the board. They just happen to be lower than what their norm is. And I think that's expected, period, uh, in baseball. So for them, I think if if we paying attention to it a little closer, if you see guys attempting to try to do it to a little too much late in games, 
then that would lead to lower OPS because guys want to make an impact late in games, especially in close games. Um, it'd be interesting to see whether those numbers break down as far as run differential and things like that with, of truly high leverage situations or is it just seven through nine. So um, for them, it's it's probably a point of emphasis as they move forward to probably try, probably try to lock in and lock down um, uh, on their approach as as they're approaching those innings, especially in meaningful ball games. You know, without digging into the conversation of you know, is there does clutch exist? Mm. What does clutch look like? Clutch gene, right? Let's let's not kind of go down that rabbit hole. But you know, more curious for for yourself when you were facing those situations in you know the high leverage spots late in games. You know, you've got a leverage reliever coming in to face you. You know, how did um, how did you manage emotions? Because, uh, you know, they, everybody says you have to ch- sort of treat it as a regular at bat and not come out of your approach. But it can be hard in, in that spot when, you know, the crowd's going one way or the other and you know that this is, uh, you know, sort of a do-or-die situation. You know, what, what, what was going running through your head as you were in the batter's box? Uh, business as usual. Um... It was for me, and I think the, as in most competitors, um, you relish the opportunity of being in those spots. Uh, in the game of baseball, unfortunately, um, you can still fail <laughs> more times than not and still be successful. So managing those things and not allowing yourself, if, if you go over two in your last high in those, in those situations, those clutch spots, uh, not allowing that to stay in your mind when the third and fourth time come up, I think that's what separates it. If you, for guys who understand how to deal with struggles, how to deal with a disappointment, um, I, I stress this to kids all the time. It's if you allow yourself to learn from it and be better because of it, we forget about the outcome. You just learn learn from that situation. It just makes you better. Don't dwell on that situation. Yeah, it's a, a sound approach for sure. And uh, I'm wondering, to transition a little bit, take you back to uh, 2002 season. Uh, and I imagine you had to do some of that in a different realm where you, you, know, you were the, if I'm memory serving correctly, the player union rep that year as there was a labor negotiations going on and a strike narrowly averted uh, in August through the season. Uh, you know, the, the CBA for Major League Baseball right now is up at the end of this year. And, you know, a lot of young Blue Jays are going to be going through that process for the first time. I'm wondering for you, as you were both dealing with a lot and taking care of your teammates, uh, how, how did you balance the competitive aspect on the field with some of the bigger picture issues that you were involved with off it, you know, taking care of both of you know, yourself, your teammates, and the, your wider player brethren. Yeah, let's, let's rewind for a minute on this one. Uh, Darren Fletcher was, was a rep moving, like, before that, so 2000, 2001. And my first full season of Big Leagues, he looks at me and says, you are now the player rep. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking to myself, hey, this is my first year in, full year in the Big Leagues, and now you're telling me I'm doing this? And he's like, yes. I'm moving on. I'm like, okay, perfect. Wow. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get big league pitching, and then yeah, and then learn all this language, and then come come September, I'm telling guys, you're, I mean, come August, end of August, I'm telling guys, be ready to go home, and they're looking at me like, what are you talking about, kid? And I'm like, yes, just be prepared to go home. I'm like, this is this is crazy. <laughs> wow, right to the deep end. Yeah, that's not easy. Yes, right into the deep end. So, I mean. 
having that perspective, Vernon, we, we've seen some pretty harsh rhetoric between the two sides, and I'm sure you're in communication with players that are in the game right now. Like, I've already steeled myself to to have like a either a shortened spring training or one that's pushed back and maybe the start of the season next year pushed back. Like, how pessimistic, optimistic are you about this upcoming negotiation? The game can't afford for there to be any type of stoppage. Um, uh, at the end of the day, both both sides understand that. Um, both sides can see how successful things can be when when two sides come together. You look at the NBA and you look how how they have just flourished over these last uh, this last decade is because one side understands the other side's value, um, and one side can't work without the other. And when you're able to take egos out of it, take your your own selfish motivations out of it, then two sides can come together for of and both be beneficial in what the outcome is. So I don't see there being a stoppage just because everybody understands this this game can't afford it. Uh, agreed, but uh, sometimes stupid things happen. I hope this is not the case uh, this upcoming off season. Vernon, appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Awesome, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, catch it up, Vern. Yeah, Vernon Wells, former Blue Jays All-Star center fielder, former union player rep, contributor to Blue Jays Central. So I, I mentioned this to Richard yesterday, and it really feels like baseball's having a moment. And it's weird. Be- I mean, every big picture baseball conversation you've had for like the last half decade to a decade has been about how the game stinks. It's ruined. It's garbage. How do you get offense back? So many strikeouts, all the home runs. Games last too long. And I guess that still exists to a degree. We'll say that game seems a lot better now that uh, you can't use super glue on your fingers. That's it, helped. It's contributed a little bit. That's That's been good. But the Field of Dreams game draws a record rating for a regular season game. And I get it. It's like it, it's a total one-off thing, except it's a two-off because they're going to do it again next year. Right. Reds and Cubs. But Shohei Otani has been a, like a breakthrough player that has like people know who Shohei Otani is who maybe never watched a full major league baseball game this season it feels like the the narrative around the game at large is changing and the idea of oh just wasting all that goodwill and and maybe you disagree with what I'm saying about the goodwill but here's what my perspective my perception is that that you could just punch that right in the gut with a little labor stoppage this offseason. Well, I think you can do it for more reasons than just that, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I think you're right in terms of there is a dynamic new generation of player in the game, yeah. right? And that is incredibly exciting and super fun to watch. And that if you go into a labor stoppage, yeah, you're deflating some of the momentum from that. But, you know, bigger picture, I think coming out of the pandemic – Coming out of a pandemic shortened season, people are just getting used to going, well, you know, in the States, maybe it's a little bit less so, but, you know, people are still getting used to being around big groups of people again and acclimating to suddenly interrupt the game in a fight over money at a point in time where, you know, a lot of people are going to be struggling and, you know, a lot of people are still, I mean, in general, I think we all, in some way, shape, or form, will be dealing with this for years. And some people have been obviously hit harder than others. I mean, that's that's a really tough spot to put your game into, right? And 
you know, I think on both sides, there can be a lot of, you know, hubris that goes into these things and, Mm -hmm. you know, belief that we're entitled to this. Yeah. I mean, I I think that to me is the, the bigger risk is that not only do you deflate the momentum of this incredible new generation of players, but that you also like get bogged down in a greed fight at a point in time where a lot of people are struggling in real life. Yeah. And and I think to me that is the bigger risk because you can really turn people off and you don't want to force people at a time where they're already struggling to go look for alternatives. Oh, they almost did it though in 2020. Like they 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 delete they delayed that 60 game right. start of the regular season by a couple of weeks which should have started on Fourth of July would have been a celebration of the return of sports. That could have been the first. Instead, I think they were still the first major North American pro sport, but UFC jumped them a little bit, if I recall cor- correctly. But anyways, it got pretty ugly at a time that was way oh, worse than this. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. And I wonder, like, there have been a few times this year where, you know, there have been spots, you know, I think the All-Star game, you know, when in previous cycles we might have seen a little bit more rhetoric from Mm -hmm. from the commissioner and from tony clark the head of the players union and we didn't and i wonder if walking to the precipice last summer i hope might have sobered a few people i could be wrong about that because you know there's still some petty stuff floating around there yeah but you know hopefully getting to the brink and people are saying no, we shouldn't do this, I think. <laughs> maybe maybe this is not the best idea. Oh, man, I hope you're right. All right, let's take a break and come back. Um, we'll get to lots more, including maybe talk about Joey Votto's Hall of Fame chances as he uh, comes up with hit number 2,000. Just giving you perspective on how many hits 3,000 is. It's a lot because Joey Votto is like a borderline Hall of Famer right now, and he's 1,000 away. He's only two-thirds of the way to 3,000. Not sure he'll get there, but will he get to Cooperstown? We'll talk about that a little bit more. As uh, Baseball Central continues, Ben Ennis, Shai Davidi, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Baseball Central, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, and Shai Davidi. So I teased it going into the segment. We're probably only going to have time for it because it's an interesting one. I tweeted out, I feel like a, a number of months ago, future Hall of Famer Joey Votto just assuming after watching his entire career that he would be headed to Cooperstown. And, and maybe he is, but somebody checked me on it and, you know, laid out a pretty good case that he's a borderline-ish and probably below the bar at the moment. That was before the season, that he was probably below induction level. He ends up with his 2,000th hit yesterday. Again, 3,000 hits is it's unfathomable. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense to, to end up with 3,000 hits. Uh, but when you walk the way... Joey Votto does the way Ted Williams did. It's tough to get that number. Um, but 2,000, incredible accomplishment. 321 homers. It's quite a few homers. It's not 500. Before this season, it really did seem like at 35 years old, the career was headed in a very downward trajectory. He was still like a a, a playable offensive player with the on-base percentage, but the power seemed gone. The power was, yeah, that was the question mark. Because he, he was still going to hit for some average. He was still going to get some walks. Uh, he was still going to give you some doubles. But w- w- was the home run gone from his game? Do you think he's a Hall of Famer? Because, again, like, if I'm just going by feel, and we're so, we're <laughs> living in this country, it's not fair to ask us, right? Because there's 
a few players outside of the local market that you pay attention to, and they're all the Canadians, including a guy that's been a Tip O'Neill Award winner how many times? Who knows? A lot. Uh, but a former National League MVP. He feels like a Hall of Famer. He's a mm-hmm. well-known player. And to be on the Cincinnati Reds, a team with not a ton of playoff history since he's been there, to break through that means that you're already you're famous to a level that's pretty impressive. He's put together, what, how many years where he's led the National League and on-base percentage? Looks like eight uh, on quick glance. Career 417 OBP. Th- that's ridiculous. Career 303 hitter. Does have the MVP award. Has a bunch of all-star appearances. Has a gold glove. That feels like a Hall of Famer. But then you compare his contemporaries or, or the, the bar at that position. And it's a little tougher. Maybe. I mean... I think you look at it. Okay, so let's look at Edgar Martinez, right? Mm -hmm. So Edgar Martinez had 2,200 career hits, uh, career OBP of 418. uh, You know, the the slug is 515. Mm -hmm. Votto's going to be right there with him. How many homers, though? Uh, His homers were 309. Okay, so fewer homers. Right. Like, you know, the bar is moved to a certain degree. And Edgar Martinez, for the most part, wasn't a defender. Joey Votto's got a gold glove. Mm Mm-hmm. I think a lot of this will depend on who your comps are. The way that I would look at it, one, Votto's not done. Votto's got a lot more time to keep building his case. And, you know, is he going to get to to 3,000 hits? You know, that's, you know, you're asking for five seasons of 200 hits between 35 and 40. That might be a little bit much. Yeah. But, you know, 2,500, 2,026, 20, 27, we'll probably be in that range, you yeah. would think. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- may, is there are there another 50 homers in there? Maybe over that span? Oh, at least it feels like I mean, he's at 26 already this season. That, I think this season has changed it tremendously because now it does feel more like it's not a slam dunk, but it seems like it's more than 50% that when he hangs him up and whoever knows how whatever, half decade if he plays into his 40s, early 40s and then becomes the player that we thought he was the last two years where he's still hanging on but with a half decent on base percentage playing good defense maybe he's on an american league team where he can dh and take some miles off the tires it feels like this has changed the narrative a little bit on his on his hall of fame chances i will say this he is this generation's greatest hitting savant right he has adapted his game he has gotten more than everything more than anybody could have gotten out of that base and I think that he's going to find ways to continue to pull up numbers and build up that case. Yeah, I think I'm going to end up being correct, but I wasn't correct at the time. So I can't take credit, although I probably will. You took the wrong route, but ended up at the right destination. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely did. And he's one of those guys I, I would love to, to show up in Cooperstown uh, one day. I think he will. Uh, good stuff, Shy. We won't see you tomorrow, but we'll see you on Thursday, right? And Friday. And Friday. Uh Baseball Central, again tomorrow with Rob Wong. Uh, Coming up next, Writer's Block. This is Sportsnet 590 The Fan.